All right. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and we are really happy that you are joining us today, uh, wherever you're joining us from. Uh, many of you are probably on the Healthy Indoors online community. You may be watching us either live streamed or recorded after, and we do have this recording and all our recordings available there, as well as audio podcasts of these shows. So we highly recommend you check that out. We're also coming to you live on Facebook, uh, YouTube, LinkedIn, and several other places. So, um, Lots of great stuff. Um, we'd like to just uh, remind you on the Healthy Indoors online community, it's something you should check out. is the president of home cleanse uh it's uh just newly rebranded he was uh with a company the company was originally uh called all american restoration um michael uh and his company special specialize in working with people who are immunocompromised or have acute or sustained reactions to mold exposure he's also the author of the book the mold medic and he's been featured on numerous programs including gwyneth paltrow's group podcast so i guess without further ado uh we'll uh, welcome michael hey how are you hey bob thanks for having me here so uh, exciting to have you here. Um, you're somebody that, you know, I haven't met before in person. Uh, we just had a little uh, pre-show intro, but I, you know, I had an opportunity to see you uh, popping up all over the place. So, you you know, you're definitely, uh, you're out there and visible. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And, and you know, it's interesting, uh, 2019, I believe it was, was in the, I was at the Indoor Air Quality Association. I was a uh, guest speaker with uh, a buddy of mine uh, by the name of Brian Carr. And you actually did a keynote uh, speech uh, at that event. And uh, one of the things that really stuck with me from that event, that things that you said is, you know, we need to evolve the air quality industry forward. Um, and it's something that really stuck with me then. So thank you for that. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. You know, I pre appreciate that. So, somebody remembers it. That was right before, uh, actually, I think it was 2020. It was right uh, at the onset of COVID. And it, Literally, we stopped yeah. having live events, you know, not long after that, which was challenging. So um, you, you've, re you know, your company's changed the name, you know, so, and uh, obviously there's a reason behind, you know, going with a new moniker with home cleanse. And, and tell us a little bit about that. And, and what is a home cleanse? So what's interesting about our company before was called all American restoration. Um, and there was two main reasons behind the rebrand. Number one is uh, we plan to go global uh, either next quarter or the first quarter of next year. And uh, all American restoration may not do as well uh, overseas. Uh, considering the name, obviously. And the other thing was, you know, we're trying to really advance what we're doing um, for the industry. And I think that all American restoration sounds so much like everything else out there. And we really wanted to kind of be different and try to start a different conversation around home and home health. Makes total sense. Um, and again, you're, you're doing, you've been involved with, it's, it's more than just re remediation. Obviously your company is doing remediation and obviously it's, it's uh, specialty remediation higher, you know, I'm assuming a higher quality of detail. And again, you're dealing with uh, more susceptible patients that, you know, maybe have more acute issues. Uh, but you're, you're also doing product lines too, right? There's some 
Yeah. So we're going to, we have products coming out. We have what's called the dust test and we have another thing called my mold report. My mold reports live now. It's an inexpensive way for people to analyze lab data or analyze mold reports that they've gotten from an inspector to try to get an unbiased answer as to what they should do and how they should take next steps to remediate. Um, the dust test is something that we're utilizing existing technology, partnering with labs to just make the, those types of tests more accessible. And uh, I'm sure you'll ask me about some of that stuff later, so I'll save it for then. But pretty excited about that for people to have this at-home way of doing things themselves. Well, I mean, and, and that, you know, at face value makes a lot of sense to me, uh, having been in the industry for a bit. Uh, and consumers, you know, even commercial clients, but consumers especially, um, you know, you hand, you know, a consultant hands them a, a report you know, from a laboratory on whatever analyses were done, you know, spore traps or, you know, the, the whole battery stuff. And that's it. You know, how do they, un how do they interpret that? So that that's difficult. Well, too, um, think about it like this. Most inspectors are a one man show, you know, or one woman show and they don't have infrastructure, uh, you know, for them to do consults all day and go out and, and investigate homes for many hours, take the, whatever samples they feel is adequate for that home. You know, it, it's a lot of time and you have to spend time writing the report so it's very difficult, right, to to spend the time that that customers really need to understand what's going on inside their their home or their workplace. So you know, we hope to help assist with that. It makes sense. It makes total sense. Um, it, so the home cleanse, you know, th that term to me denotes that you're doing more than just a mold remediation, right? That's the, yeah. So delve into that a little bit. I'd like to hear a little more about it. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about mold or bacteria, which are pretty much the top two things that infiltrate homes when they're water damaged, um, you know, we have two looking at basic microbiology here. We have the organism and the particle, and then you add the toxin into the mix to, to further add confusion. Right. But you have just that basis of organisms and particles. Um, the mold remediation industry, as it, as it's standalone, it does a pretty good job with you know identifying sources of mold, removing those sources of mold. Um, I, I don't know if it focuses much on bacteria, which I think it, it probably needs to a little more. But it, it doesn't do a great job at what do we do with all the particles and what do we do with the toxins that have been created. And I think that's where I have kind of been working on over the past ten years, really trying to dive into you know, cleaning the home, how much cleaning is needed, what's the right order to clean the home. And it's been, you know, literally 10 years of trial and error, figuring that out and creating some sort of process that we could standardize and say, if the home is remediated and then the home is clean in this fashion, we know that the home is going to be as clean as possible. And that person's going to be a lot more likely to be able to live back in that home. Uh, and, you know, primarily dealing with people that are extremely sensitive to their environment, we had to figure out how to go above and beyond. Well, I think you're hitting on a key point too, that it's more than just mold often in, in these, you know, when you're dealing with microbial issues. And, uh, and I think that's something that in the industry has been sadly lacking. Um, you know, it's, we, we became very mold centric, um, instead of just microbiological centric. Yeah. And, uh, and I think a lot of that was driven by the fact, you know, the advent of the spore trap, the spore trap cassette, you know, came out in the mid to late nineties and it made it a lot easier to take that, you know, that type of sample. Anybody could pretty much capture one of those. Uh, and it got everybody away from culturable air samples. Uh, so you stop, you, you stop looking at a lot of things. Culture samples are still done, but you know, it, spore trap became, I think the preeminent sampling methodology uh, for better or worse, because there, there were some advantages, yeah. but certainly there, there's some gaping, you know, holes in any analyses done that way. 
Um, and yeah, the environment, right? If it's a wet environment, if there's a moisture issue, the likelihood that there's a, you know, more than just mold and potentially a bacterial issue. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so again, so I'm, you're going in and looking at multiple constituents that could be causing a problem in a space. So totally. That, that's interesting. And you know, what's interesting to me too, is about, about this is, you know, when I walk into homes, a lot of the homes that I go into, they're immaculate, they're pristine. You would mm -hmm. never think there was a problem. And so that's why it's so important to really look at the different modalities of testing and try to go above and beyond to figure out what, what the heck is it? Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's in HVAC systems. I see a lot of HVAC systems not being tested uh, in mm -hmm. inspections. Um, it's hidden behind walls. Right. And so you have to utilize different tools and techniques to try to figure out where could the water be coming from, um, even when there doesn't there's no obvious signs of water damage. So I think it, it's a little tricky. Right. But um, oh, it's know, way tricky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's way tricky. But, we, you know, we've we've done a great job kind of working with people and trying to figure out, you know, utilizing different science. And this is why I want to talk more about the dust test later, because kind of, I, I, I like to start there and actually work backwards, looking for abnormalities of what's going on inside their dust can then help us dictate, you know, if there's, let's say high levels of aspergillus that are a hundred times higher than the average home, we're able to then try to figure out, okay, where can this aspergillus be coming from? That's just one small example, but I figure working that way and start working backwards is pretty helpful for a consultant to go in and try to, you know, do a wide range of tests to figure out what's going on. Well, let's let's run with that right now, because I think I think that's a, a great segue to get into it. So, you know, you've, you've had a lot of uh, promotion about using the ERMI uh, methodology sure. for for sampling. And, you know, has, in the industry, many people, you know, don't agree with that, you know, that methodology and that analysis, uh, you know, protocol, at least the whole you know setup of that. So t t tell me about your desk, your dust testing protocol. And I'm assuming we're going to be going down the ERMI thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I still, I, you know, to, I, obviously it's a, it's a hot topic in my book. It's uh, there's a chapter called the elephants in the room. And, you know, we talk about ERMI. Um, I, I can't for the life of me figure out exactly why people don't want to use it um, at all, but I, cause I think it's very valuable. You have 36 different species utilizing MSQ PCR technology. You're able to quantify in each different type of mold, how much is there per milligram of dust. Um, and Obviously, the EPA did a study with this, right? And and the data they've collected over a thousand uh, different homes, I believe it was, um, and so that kind of gives you what's co considered an average thing. You're going to have mold, right? We're not building bubbles around people's homes, but when you start to see things that are a hundred times, a thousand times higher than the average, you can pretty much bet that there's going to be a source somewhere in that home producing those particles that you're testing for. So, I think the biggest problem with ERMI is is on the post test side, which I, I can totally understand and agree with. Especially if you're just there opening up a, a bedroom wall and remediating a bedroom, and you're expected to pass an ERMI of the entire house, it's not really fair, right? So, mm -hmm. I think that there is there's definitely there definitely needs to be a, a, a good way to utilize that technology for post testing. But for pre-testing, I think it's it's a great idea. Um, and we're actually building a whole platform off of that idea. Okay. And I think the reason being is because, again, we can look at look for abnormalities and then an inspector can go in and help try to find where those sources are coming from. So, um, so, so your premise, though, is that you're going to go in and use that as a pre-screening tool. Yeah. Uh, because one, I think one of the points that have been made by a lot of people is that when you take a, uh, you know, homogeneous sample, right, or that's the attempt, it's a conglomerate of areas, you know, multiple dust 
samples kind of glommed together into an ERMI uh, analysis. You're, you're, you don't really know where the source is of any what you pick up there. Sure. So No, but I think it's a good entryway for people okay. to say, do I have an issue? Right. And then they can hire an inspector to then go and figure out where those sources are with other means of testing. It's not the end all and be all. It's definitely mm -hmm. a tool in the, in the tool belt. And I think it's a great entryway because so many people are like, is it mold? Is it, you know, it, could, could my house have mold? Uh, is this you know, impacting my health? They want answers. Mm -hmm. And for right now, they're not getting many answers because the gold standard today is you just come in and take an air sample off that air cassette and guess where people take it in the center of the room. It's like, okay, every single time. Right. 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 And yeah. you take it in the center of the room and guess where all the problems are on the exterior walls, on the mm -hmm. walls that have plumbing in them further away from the center of the room. So you're less likely to pick stuff up. That could be a problem. Um, so, you know, obviously the air changes from second to second, minute to minute, hour mm -hmm. to hour. Uh, you're not picking everything up. And why I like the dust is because whatever is aerosolizing in your home is going to settle in that dust. Mm -hmm. And guess what happens? That dust recirculates, it re-aerosolizes, enters your breathing zone and gets into the body. So I think it's, it's a better way to screen um, from that initial first step of, is there something going on in my home? I mean, I would definitely agree. And I think most people would agree that dust represents a good historic you know, uh, record of what, what, you know, what's happened in the space. And I think that's good. I think the big complaints are, or at least the questions are, is the actual ERMI uh, chart, you know, the scale. Uh, because oh, yeah. you know, this is a lot. I mean, the qPCR analysis, doing the you know the DNA based analysis, I think everybody is has agreed that's pretty good analysis, pretty accurate. Um, you know, it's it you have a limited number of uh, organisms that you profile with it, but you know it's it pr pretty much you know concrete proof that you found the organism in the space. But you know, but the scales, you know, it's like and there's been other people in the industry that created their own ERMI like scales. Uh, we even go, you know, whose that is, but sure. you know, these these kind of things like i think tend to to make it questionable you know because the, does is that truly representative you know based on the scale the number oh you know? yeah I'm no like, so when i was working with this um doctors were telling patients you know you have to have below a two on the army in order to, to live in this home and it's like <laughs> it was funny to me because as a remediator you have no control over what that score is going to say because the score is basically just group one minus group two um, and if you have outside influence and you, you have more molds that are coming in in group two than in group one, um, you know, you're going to have a better chance of success. The building's tighter. You don't really have much outside influence. You're getting rid of all molds from all columns as you're cleaning the home. You're not going to have exactly a, a, a proper sliding scale. So right, you're right. never going to get a, you're never going to get below this two, and you're going to be in this job forever which I think is, has been one of the biggest problems. I don't look at the score at all. I don't believe in it. I don't trust it. I don't think that it provides any value. Okay. I do look though at the data, like how many spores are per milligram of dust, spores, fragments, mm -hmm. et cetera. And you know, depending on the lab you use, a lot of them will provide asterisks, which is helpful for more for the customer to kind of give you an understanding of, is this 10 times higher than normal, 100 mm -hmm. times or 1,000 times? And I think that's, th that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking for abnormalities, you know, and I'm, I'm educating people that mm -hmm. you're not building a bubble around your house, never going to be mold-free. Um, but what you do want is you want to be within normal range. You want to have a normal home. You don't want to have something growing that's producing so many particles that it's abnormal because that's mm -hmm. more particles opportunistically getting in contact with the body 
Um, you know, there, we, we all know that from the medical standpoint, we're learning more and more every day about how this can impact our health. So what we do know is optimum air quality is, is optimal for our health. It makes sense. So, yeah. And, and that's the thing, I, I guess the exception that most people would take is with the actual ERMI scale and not so, you know, professionals in the industry, not so, not so much QPCR analysis of uh, resident dust. Yeah. I think that's a really valid thing to look at. And yeah, so it's, I, I, I can uh, concur with that. I, my concern is though, is that that ERMI term is still used all the time I and mean, you're using it. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the industry are using it both pro and con. And uh, you know, from a consumer standpoint, you know, they could easily be driven into making that whole, you know, category one minus category two determination, you know, using that ERMI scale. And that, you know, I just don't think that holds water in many cases. Yeah, you're right. Because the ERMI actually is the index itself, right? And that's Yeah, because yeah, the ERMI is not the analysis. I mean, it's QPCR right. analysis of dust, right. which is, and, and I think it might, it might be better, I, I think, to the general consumers for us to get away from that that ERMI term because the ERMI term pulls you right down that path of using that sliding scale. You know? No, you're right. And obviously with the with the dust test, we're focusing more on the data, not on the right. scale. It's not something that we we really find valuable at all. Yeah, and that's the thing. You're you're using you know you're you're using the data which makes you know that makes total sense. So there are, so I'm assuming that's that's your that's your pre-screening. So yeah. And who 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 collects that pre-screen? You actually you rely the on customers to collect it. Yeah. So, yeah. So basically, when you order this kit from us, how it's going to work? You're going to get a QR code. That QR code is going to ask you for information to fill out the chain of custody. Essentially, you're going to have a video of how to collect the sample properly. Um, you'll watch that video. It'll be very quick, maybe 60 seconds long, explaining where to collect, where not to collect, how to collect. Um, you'll get gloves with it. You'll have a pre-sealed uh, envelope with the sampling uh, kit. You'll put it back into the envelope. You'll print out the chain of custody, put it back in that box. It goes off on its way to back to the lab. Um, so that's, that it's, it's, we're trying to make it super simple. Um, you know, it's not perfect because anything consumer-based never is perfect. But I think it's going to give people more access to data without, you know, kind of running into this rabbit hole of, you know, is my house affecting me? Is it not affecting me? Is it perfect? Is it not perfect? Who do I call? Who do I trust? And what I think it's it, what I hope it does, Bob, is I hope it revolution, revolutionizes the way that we do screen homes and stop just coming in and taking one air sample in the center of a house and telling people the house is fine, because I think that's really where we kind of go down this wrong path. Yeah, I, I totally concur with that. I mean, the, from an air sampling standpoint, again, taking any either either type of or any type of air sampling, you know, spore trap is what's predominantly done. I mean, it's right. a five minute excursion. It's a couple of cubic feet of air for right. five minutes that catches a very small collection point and capture efficiency. And yeah, and you're trying to extrapolate to twenty, you know, twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year from one one little two cubic foot of air out of a space. Uh, no, you know, and, and there's a lot of subjectivity in the analyses on that as well. Um, totally. So, and I so, see so about a hundred, I see about a hundred to 200 inspection reports a month, uh, just to give you kind of a frame of reference. And I would say 50% of these labs that we see are just exactly that it's two air samples in the center of the room. And the person's like, I think I have mold, you know, and you look at the air sample and you're like, I, I don't see anything here, right? There's nothing yeah. here to tell me that there is or is not a problem. It's just inconclusive, right? So, you know, that's what really prompted me to say, I we have to do something about this. We have to give people 
more information, uh, you know, because the, the consumers drive the demand. And then obviously from a business standpoint, the businesses then fill that demand. And so as long as people can go in homes and take an air, air sample or two and call it a day, they're going to keep getting away with that. So we have to kind of educate everybody all one shot. Yeah. And clearly, you know, that is one of the big problems in this industry. I, I totally agree with you on that because it became so easy to capture spore traps. They're fairly inexpensive to have analyzed. They're pretty easy to handle, you know, um, it's fast, you know, fast turnaround time because you don't have to culture anything, you know, prior to that uh, in the mid uh, to early nineties. And before that, it was, it was the single stage impactor, right? The Anderson sampler, the N6, that's what everybody used. And you had to wait you know, anywhere from a week to two weeks to subculture and get all, get all that data. And, uh, you know, that just doesn't work for remediation. You can't wait two weeks to clear right. a job. Um, so that's how the spore trap got in. And I think the spore traps is, is it, it, it offers a lot of good information. But w- so what sure. other types of analyses uh, and methodologies do you do? You, you know, typically uh, do and, and you find valuable as far as going out. So let's say a, a consumer takes a, a qPCR analysis you know, or, or sample comes back and you find suspect levels of target organisms. You know, what's next? Where do you go? Yeah. So t- typically from there, we're, you know, once we have a screen and we see that there's some abnormalities there, we're, you know, consulting with the client on bringing that to an inspector that they, that they like someone in their area that can help them um, and give them that data. And first off, they're asking, you know, do you see abnormalities? They're trying to get a sense of, of how they're going to help find it too. Um, you know, again, trying to avoid them just coming back into the room and saying, taking an air sample and saying, I didn't find anything. So must not really be here, you know, and then citing on the EPA that, 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 the, the ERMI is a research tool, right. And that it shouldn't be used. So this is kind of the, the tailspin that, that people go in sometimes and we're trying to really educate not only the consumer, but, uh, obviously by putting myself out there, I'm hoping that other industry people see this as well and, and, and try to understand exactly what I'm trying to do here. And, you know, it's really just doing a better job investigating, right? We have to stop relying on the air cassette. Um, it's a, it's a tool. I like it. I just don't like it. If we take one air sample in the center of a room and say, there's no problem there. I, th- I just don't think that's, that's valuable. Um, there's a, there's some great ways to use the air cassette. Um, I think, Taking an air sample closer to where you suspect there may be mold would be helpful. Um, you can obviously poke a hole through a wall. Um, there's those tubes that stick to the cassette that you can take, pull a, an, an air cavity sample. Of course, you got to be careful of the debris, um, but that is another a useful way. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Instascope. Uh, I Absolutely, love Instascope. Yeah. Um, I met with the CEO. I mean, I love what, what he's trying to do, getting real-time data, looking at particles, you know, how it changes. I love mm-hmm. how you can take that wand and, you know, spin it around the whole house. And look right. At I mean, it, that's truly a dynamic process where you're not yeah. collecting, you know, a sample in one spot and trying to make a generalization. They're moving around, getting different stratification levels. And yeah. it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, you know, I, I love the ability to swab or tape lift, you know, water stains. I've seen water stains that looked like no big deal. And, you know, a consultant that swabbed or tape lifted it. And it was mind blowing, actually, what was mm-hmm. there, right? Like it looked like nothing you would have never thought. So I think, you know, paying more attention and, and actually testing and verifying, I think is helpful. Unless of course the person's willing to just open up every single thing in their home. Right. But, you know, kind of going back to this, we working with people with limited budgets. Um, we have to prioritize utilizing data. What's the best bank for the buck here. 
Um, you know, it's certain, certainly most people are not going to have the funds to open up every little water damage spot in their home. And I think that's where testing comes into play. Let's see which areas are worse than the others. So we can prioritize what you actually need to do, um, to try to create a healthier environment. And I think that's kind of the whole premise of how our, our company works. We're just, we're very data driven. Well, I mean, again, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the big dilemmas for consumers, right, is that they just, they can't make informed choices because they just don't, they don't know, you know, you, you go online and there's so much conflicting information out there, especially from a consumer standpoint. I mean, oh, even yeah. as a professional in the industry, it's hard to weed through some of this stuff. If you're not a highly experienced professional, you, you know, you can fall prey to some of this stuff as well. Um, but I, I would totally concur with the whole data mindset. You know, it's like, data is great as a consultant i've had consumers you know call us up and and say you know we've done this ermi test and my first thing is okay i don't care about the ermi scale but let's see the results i want yeah. to see the data from you know i want to see the lab analysis of that qpcr because that's valuable i yeah you know, the, the the number that was assigned it's like nah, i don't really care about that yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah definitely uh i i, I think your approach sounds it sounds reasonable you know it's it's it, the big thing is you know and I think you touched on this is that consumers have limited budgets and they don't have a lot of money to pay a consultant, a ton of money to come in and do front end work. Yeah. In a perfect world, you do destructive exams of everything, right? That's the, yeah. the only way you're not going to miss something is literally to open everything up. Right? right. But that's just not, that's not reasonable unless it's a total loss type situation. So you're not going to do that typically. So, you know, you have to use limited invasive technologies, right? You know, small totally. holes here and there and right. You know, so small so holes here sense. and there, you have thermal imaging cameras, you know, um, I ask a lot of inspectors, did you walk around the outside of the property? They say, no, why not? You know, looking at the outside of the property where water is most likely to intrude, right? Where that'll give you some tips and, and tricks to figuring out where to test. And I think that, you know, again, I, I just think that our industry, unfortunately, has gotten a little lazy, you know, and a little complacent. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of part of the problem. And um, new ideas, you know, is, is always met with uh, uh, friction, right? right? But I think yeah. that it's, it's what we need. We need to, you know, we need to revamp, as you said, back in 2019, we, we need to evolve a bit. And um, hopefully that people are listening to it. Uh, can kind of see the the reasonableness of what we're trying to evolve it. Well, I think, for, you know, I, and the friction's good. I mean, I, I just based on my historic, you know, time here, I've been doing this since like the mid eighties, which is just horrifying to even consider. And it, the, the number of things that I've seen that are really, you know, new tech, you know, new technologies with quotation marks and, you know, the wonder prescriptive, you know, the thing of du jour, uh, a lot of times they just end up not being that good, you know, or sometimes sure. just flat out misrepresented. Uh, so I, I view everything with some skepticism because sure. I, it just, it's, and I think it's a matter of being jaded, <laughs> you know, having seen a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's just, that's the test of time for anybody, any new ideas. Anyway, they're, they're going to get met with skepticism. You come up with a, you know, a groundbreaking methodology or technology or just a way of doing things. And you're, you're going to get friction because obviously the sacred cows don't want to be disturbed. And, uh, you know, there's ways things are being done and people aren't really, you know, the, the people, the forces that be don't necessarily want change. Um, so in that you're going to have pushback, but I, sure. I, again, I think what happens is if you do have something that is credible and credible idea, it's going to move forward. It's going to get, it's going to meet resistance, but you got to persevere through that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of unknowns. I think as other people start to figure out, you know, how to, how to incorporate this into their business, um, you know, and how to, 
just think differently, think outside of the box a little more, um, utilize some of the different technologies, figure out how to utilize those technologies. It'll become a lot easier. There'll be a lot less friction. Um, you know, if you, if you've been doing inspections for many years, just taking an air sample in the center of a room and, you know, you have a, a guy who's 33 that comes in and says, you know, stop doing that. That's not good. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to rub you the wrong way. Right. But as you start to see that, you know, as you start to see how, you know, maybe you can be more helpful and there's other things that you can do and you learn those things, um, you know, you'll, you'll also obviously start to shift. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think this industry, obviously it's been around many years, but mm-hmm. I still look at it as its infancy. You know, I think we, Oh, it hasn't still, evolved yet. I mean. <laughs> we, we are still, you know, we're still learning new things every day. We're still trying to figure out, you know, um, I, I personally got involved, uh, after hurricane Sandy, And, um, basically I started seeing a pattern of people complaining of illness, um, homes that were supposedly remediated. And then you're, you're looking at the inspection report and you're like, how is this remediated? This looks like it was, you know, from a lab data perspective, this looks like this thing just started growing. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting as I started to dive into that and I started to notice kind of the patterns of organism particle, we're, we're missing the boat here. You know, I just, I wanted to do everything that I could to help people that, you know, um, needed help, you know, and, and we've done a great job so far. We've helped over a thousand uh, families uh, fix their homes. Some of them that had thought they were never going to be able to live in that home again. Um, I, there's a story of a woman, Shannon Hill in Florida, uh, literally had a GJ feeding tube in her because uh, she couldn't eat within seven days of, of moving back uh, with seven days of moving out of her home. Um, she was able to remove the feeding tube. She was bedridden 95% of the time. She went back to uh, being standing and walking 95% of the time. So these are some of the miracles that we've seen, which makes it all hard to ignore how important that it is that we evolve and how we start to look at this from a health perspective mm-hmm. instead of just this, you know, insurance job. And I think R- if Rob, we can start to yeah. do that, you know, we will we, help a lot of people in the process. I mean, one of the one of the big problems I think all of us face in the industry, both on the consulting and remediation side, is that we don't really have, you know, a direct correlation of environmental parameters like, you know, spores per cubic meter or whatever, whatever test we did and how that directly ha- affects the health outcome in an individual. We just don't. And I'm not sure we'll ever have that conclusively. Sure. But but it, it makes it challenging because our spores per cubic meter even something that we need to consider? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've asked that question since I've been taking spores per cubic meter samples. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like, is this even the right thing we're looking at? You know, because because I know when you get into a litigation situation, you know, you're testifying as an expert witness in this industry. Um, you know, the, the big thing is if you, you got there's gotta be a medical practitioner that makes that, you know, cross diagnosis versus environmental. And, and that's hard. That's really hard to prove in a, in a, in a legal case. And, and we, which begs the question of like, we need that information. I mean, it'd be nice to know a little bit more. Um, I totally agree with uh, you. And here's, here's what I hope the dust test will do. Um, Cause we've already partnered with a few doctors who are going to have this in their, their office. Um, and they're going to get data, right? So for how long have doctors, they, they may get medical data. Maybe they do mycotoxin urine analysis or whatnot. Maybe they're looking at, at organic acid tests or looking for different biomarkers that might make them more susceptible to their environment, but they don't have the data of the home. And it, it's for some reason, it's like, we don't talk to one another, right? We don't have the, uh, you know, investigation community talking to the medical community, mm-hmm. typically, I mean, you may have a couple of different scientists that do right. But from a, from a large standpoint, um, investigators 
and, and, and consultants, they go in a lot more homes than a scientist will. Sure. Yet we're, and there's how much data collected, right? Or a medical doctor. I mean, medical doctors make diagnoses from afar that could be environmental, you know, driven, you know, right. it could be environmental factors there. And, and how, you know, a clinician can't do that from afar. You know, there, there has to be more cross-pollinization as far as this information, right? You, you know, it's interesting. Like you can go to the World Health Organization. You can go to the EPA's website. You can go to the American Lung Association's website. You will find all these different pieces of information to suggest that air quality is, is a big proponent to optimizing health, right? And that if you have poor air quality, you're likely to have poor health. But for some reason, they're all said in different ways and none of it's ever stringed together to say, if you have, if you're living in a water damaged home, <laughs> you may experience a wide range of symptoms. You know, FEMA tells us, EPA tells us, if you have mold, remove it, right? Just remove it. They wouldn't tell you to remove it if, it, if they didn't think that it was a problem. Right. So we but, know. But, but, yeah, but they're not prescriptive enough. You know, unfortunately, right. the guidance that you get from these organizations doesn't really help a consumer in the end, right? Necessarily. Totally. You got 100 and I think it's 157 different uh, PubMed articles on the NIH about, you know, different studies with mold and mycotoxins and bacteria and water damage homes. But again, you know, they're not like you said, how will we ever get that? Well, somebody would have to agree to a human study, right? And who's going to agree to subject themselves to humans? It just won't happen, right? So what do we do? We study on, on animals. We study on rats. Um, but yet we don't want to use those rat studies, even though we use them for everything else out in the world. We don't want to use those studies for this. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's obviously a very slippery slope. Um, and it's, it, it's a reason why I started uh, Change the Air Foundation, um, hoping to be able to continue to grow this and, and be able to help support more research studies, um, hoping that the dust tests will have enough data over time, um, sharing with the doctors that, that, the, that have the, the dust test available for them and their patients and being able to kind of connect the scientific and medical community a little bit more with some more data. Um, I think that's really what we need, you know, it's in order to evolve this industry, we need conclusive data. So, so, so let, let, let's touch, uh, touch on that a little bit more on, on your change the air foundation. I know that's an, uh, that's a, a new organization. You're one of the founders of that co-founders. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of different foundations that are geared towards air quality, a lot of them outdoor air quality. Um, there are some, some different ones on mold that maybe offer financial assistance for families that are, are struggling. Uh, maybe they had to throw out their kids' toys or something or lost it in, the, in a big water loss um, and can't replace it, right? So there's, there's certain uh, functions that, that already exist out there. Our organization is actually driven towards policy change. Um, it's driven towards research. Um, there will be some financial assistance, but we're going after more like government grants. Uh, we would love to work with, you know, HUD and help clean up some, you know, Section 8 buildings where people live and are on disability and probably don't have the best air quality, <laughs> for being honest. Um, so trying to change things from that perspective. Um, but I think policy change is, is something that, you know, for me, I, I'm most passionate about at this point, just because, you know, in 50 states of, of America here, not one of them considers mold a health hazard. Um, you know, obviously we do regulate it, but it's free regulated, it's, but it's, it's knee jerk reaction regulation. Right. Again, it's, yeah. it's, it's loosely regulated. It's still the wild, wild west, but what, what are we regulating if it's not a health hazard? 
You know, we have to just call a spade a spade at some point and say it's a health hazard. We don't want too much of it in our environments. Uh, you know, again, we're not trying to, this isn't like you can't have any mold, right? But if you have a lot of it in your environment, odds are it's probably not a good idea. So we have right. to go out and say this, these things. And I think that that's, that's one of the initiatives is let's get this passed as a whole health hazard in all 50 states. We need a little tighter real estate disclosure laws. Not necessarily on mold specifically, because I think that would be too too specific. I think we need to be more broad about water damage. Like if you have water damage, you should disclose it. Um, I think that's important because water damage can bring mold and bacteria and a host of other things that can that can hurt people. Um, there are too many people, too many stories that I have of people buying their first home. Uh, you know, especially in this type of market where you're spending probably every penny you have to buy a place right now. Uh, you don't have extra resources to go in and right. rehab. And right. so when people just out now don't disclose things, it's really not fair, right? And you're, you're giving it some, you're putting someone else in harm's way. So I think right. we need a little bit of tighter regulations. There are some states that do have them, but there's also a lot that don't. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a, there's a wide reaching range of, of what needs to be done from a policy perspective. And I don't want to strike too many fires here. But we all know that essentially we, we, we can we can certainly modernize the way in which we look at water damaged buildings and homes. Um, and I think we all care about our health. We all care about our kids' health and our grandkids' health. We want to leave in our place a better world than we left it. And I think that we can, as a community, uh, come together and figure that out. And, um, you know, there's no perfect law. I'm not suggesting there ever right, will right. be. But it's hard I to, think, it, it, this is hard to regulate because there are a it, lot of, yeah. there's, there's a lot of moving parts to this, this yeah. topic. But I, I definitely think that we can do better than we currently are. It's 2022, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and you know, we have to do better than we have been. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, what's interesting too, an interesting sidebar, I think is the insurance industry has a database on water damage and properties that they share jointly amongst companies, right? They have a, they have mm -hmm. a, a full database on that. So it's not like, and if you think about it, they're in the business of assigning risk. So why would they be concerned about, you know, assigning risk to water damage if they didn't truly perceive it as a risk as an insurer right. on the space, right? So, you know, totally. yeah, it'd be nice if the consumers could have access to the similar data. Yeah, I, I would concur with that. So, um, you know, along those lines with the foundation, what current IAQ researchers uh, would you like to see your foundation uh, work with? Do you have any? I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, honestly, um, there are so many great people that have come, you know, uh, that have been in the past. Obviously, you being one of them, uh, being in this industry for 36 years, uh, I've always been inspired by you speaking at any event I've been a part of, uh, specifically for the Indoor Air Quality Association. Um, but no, I'm, I'm looking to connect with anyone and everyone who has a, a like minded vision of creating a better future, having better you know, rules and regulations, having more accountability around water damaged buildings and the effects they can create that wants to see this information come out. Um, you know, I, I believe me, we've, we've seen some proponents of these bills where the board of education was against one of our bills, uh, in one of the States, uh, roofers association was against one of the bills. Um, I'm insurance companies are going to be against it. I know we're, sure. we're, we're, we have, it's You're everyone's not going to be coming in hand in hand, all excited about this, right. but we have to remember that from that perspective, like change is good. We'll figure out a way to make change. And everyone who's part of the other side that feels like they may be more adversely affected by this change, you'll adapt, you'll adapt, you'll adjust, you'll figure out a way to make new money. And guess what? people will be better for it. 
So it's a win-win because the yeah, more people we have that are healthy, right? The better the economy is. I think it's a, it's a, it's a very positive thing that we can do. Yeah. Well, and it's also, you know, it's not unreasonable to expect, you know, again, you know, the, the old sacred cows to have to adapt to, you know, new, new science, new, new revelations. I mean, I don't know if they're that new, but you know, you know, once you can finally, you know, document things and prove things to a higher degree, um, you know, they're going to have to adapt to that or they're, they're going to fall by the wayside. If you want to keep doing it the way you still, you know, we're not, we're not still uh, using, you know, manufacturing buggy whips and we're not still, you know, there's a lot of things right. we're, we're not still doing, you know, the yellow right. pages, I would want to be selling yellow page ads for, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have, you know, now, there's going to be somebody selling yellow page ads is going to really be upset <laughs> about that. But the reality is, right, that was the way you had to do business 15, 20 years ago. Sure. And, and things evolve, you know, and, and, and you have to you have to follow that. Um, it, so what organizations are you working as far as industry organizations? You know, like I, I, you've mentioned IAQA a few times, but are there other industry organizations that you are looking to partner with or you work with? And, and, but both on, on behalf of your uh, your not for profit and also, you know, what you do with just what you're doing with your business with home plans. Just curious. Yeah. Well, the IICRC, we just got approval from them to share one of uh, their graphics that we absolutely love that highlights, you know, the, which States even have mold regulations and, you know, which don't, which is most, most of the U S um, you know, so we, we definitely, I mean, I love, I personally love the IICRC. Our firm is certified by IICRC. Um, you know, they have the guidelines that they've created. There's really not one scenario where I don't think those guidelines are applicable. And matter of fact, I think the problem with the industry is not knowing those guidelines well enough. I'll just give you one quick example to tie this together. IICRC S500, right? It talks about how mold remediation or any sort of microbial remediation, including bacteria would happen before drying water mitigation. You want to know what the hole in that is, though? Um, it tip typically takes three to five days to dry out a building, right? Finish or more. Yeah, or, or more. Or more. Yeah, I, Mold grows in as quickly as 24 to 48 hours. Or less. <laughs> you know, or less. Tw 12, you know, in the right so, conditions. So essentially, every water mitigation job is turns into a mold remediation job as the job is ongoing. Potentially. Potentially. Yep. I would agree. And. And unfortunately, that's something most water mitigation companies don't even know that they're supposed to do remediation beforehand. And they come in even three or four days after it happened, just start cutting walls, put in 145 fans all over the place. Right, right. Blowing right? everything everywhere. They're just billing the insurance company for every little fan they put in there and they just blow it all around. I mean, this is a big problem that we experience and it's a lack of, right? You're supposed to get a hygienist to come in and evaluate that before you start mitigation, unless it has been fairly quickly. So mm -hmm. there's just a lack of understanding in what the standards are that, that are set by the IICRC. I think they're amazing. Um, they talk a lot about porous items, non-porous items, categories of losses, how to clean, you know, how to, how to clean the importance of cleaning. Um, I think that I pretty much would say that I, everything that my business is built around is built around those IICRC mm -hmm. protocols. And then I've added different techniques to it, right. To further advance things um, just in terms of how we clean the home and which order do we clean the home in? And, you know, I, I mean, we, we go nuts. We HEPA vacuum three different directions. We wipe down in three different directions. We, we, we go above and beyond very thorough because we want to be able to, to do, to say that we did everything we could to get mm -hmm. it done in a timely manner right? So that we're not having to keep coming back and keep delaying things. So I think, you know, that's a definitely an organization that we want to continue to support um, and want to continue to, to 
collaborate with, hopefully, I would imagine that they, they would also want to see the same type of vision that we have going. Um, the Indoor Air Quality Association, of course, uh, I've been a member for I, as long as I can remember. I don't remember the exact date, but um, at least 2014, 15, um, uh, which is earlier on in my career at that point. And uh, I was a, sp a sponsor for every single chapter uh, out in New Jersey when I was in New Jersey, um, had a, had a, uh, just everyone I've met at the Indoor Air Quality Association has been great. Of course, it's an industry, um, it's an industry affair, so not everybody sees eye to eye. But I would say that there's just been a lot of great relationships that have come out of that. Um, and there, there's obviously many organizations, but I would say those are, are my top two favorite ones, um, and uh, would would love to to expand my network out of that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, uh, you know, to, to uh, ICRC, the S520 mold remediation standard, there's a new incarnation of that in the wings that yes. we've been hearing is going to be out fairly soon, uh, you know, maybe before the end of the year. You know, I, that that's what I've been hearing from numerous people. Yeah, I read the um, public <clears throat> version of that. I, you know, like I said, I, I think they're I think they're a really good organization. Mm -hmm. and I, I love the, how they keep advancing things. Yeah. And, and then certainly um, I, I, I think, you know, to to your point that there's. Uh, a lot of people in the industry that may not be uh, in tune with doing these things. Is it by design or is it by ignorance? And I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer that question. I mean, my, my concern is that, you know, I've seen this all along in the industry since the beginning, there's always seemed to have been factions of the remediation and consulting side that maybe willfully don't follow, you know, they're, they're trying to do things their way. Um, so let me do a shift uh, here. Um, your you do a thing called uh, Mold Talks. It's a video podcast. So what what kind of things you know? What what's your number one thing you've learned from speaking to consumers on that? Well, um, you know, again, after dealing with a thousand different people, having different direct clients, um, and I started to see these patterns, uh, I just thought that you know what? I don't I don't think a lot of people see what I see. I don't think a lot of people are seeing how sick people are getting, um, you know, and, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to comment on, you know, mold makes you sick or anything like that, but I'm just talking about patterns. You have people in water damage homes. They're all complaining of, of illness, all different kinds of illness. Um, and, you know, you start to see these patterns as you go. And as I'm seeing these patterns and I'm hearing these stories, I mean, some of these stories literally bringing me to tears I realize that, you know, unless you're out there advertising yourself as somebody who's, who, who cares to help these, these individuals that are suffering like that, I don't know that people are, are, are see that so much. Um, certainly I've talked, spoken with a lot of, um, family members of maybe one out of four people are, seem to be more susceptible to their environment than the other three people. And the other three people don't understand what they're going through. And this all just kind of led to this idea of creating this podcast where I interview people who are suffering. Um, all of them have some sort of water damage or mold story. Uh, yeah, obviously it could be bacteria too. Uh, mold just tends to be the, the, the big buzzword that people associate with. But when we're just zooming out a bit, we're talking about water damage homes. All of these people had run in with water damage homes and all of them had just 50 different doctors they had no idea what to do. It took them years to figure out. 
they finally change their environment. All of a sudden they start to get better. And some of them got better quickly. Some of them took six months, years, um, all kinds of different stories. And I wanted to put that out there because I wanted people to see that. I think it's really important. It's not to scare people. It's not to say like, you know, you're, if you see a water stand on your ceiling, you're definitely going to get sick. It's just more of creating this awareness around the fact that there are those that do need better air quality maybe than the average person. And we're not thinking of them and we're neglecting them. And I, I wanted people to see how they're a lot more frequent than, than what we're led to believe. Cause we always, you know, when I would go to these meetings uh, in, you know, even at the indoor air quality association, we talk with, with one another, they would be like, Oh, that's, you know, the rare client or the problem client or it what have all- you, <laughs> you know, it's, I, it's not as I'm telling you, it's not as yeah. rare as, as we think it is. And so I wanted people to see that and for people to have, um, for other people who may be suffering, have some connection with that person that I'm not alone. You know, there are people that experience this. I'm not crazy. I, I see, you know, that this is, this is, this is a potential problem. And I, I just really kind of creating that community. And so it started off with then, then we started interviewing doctors and we, we created mold talks docs. Uh, talking about their side of things and what they're seeing and are they seeing people sick in water damaged buildings. And so it's, it's been, it's been really interesting to kind of develop that podcast and just, just create a new perspective for people. Well, I mean, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said too, because, you know, and I see this in the industry too, which, which troubles me. People get very, um, some professionals get very uh, dismissive of clients that are having some of the most severe problems based on the fact <clears throat> that maybe they're as a consultant are not capable of finding the problem. So they automatically assume it's all in their head. <laughs> you know, you, you see, and you, you get sure. that. And, and I, I think it's hard as it is, it, you know, it's a difficult situation as a professional to always remain objective, but I think you have to, because you have to always right, recognize the fact that we don't have all the information on how people are really affected and people are you know, physiologically are affected totally different. So totally. just be, you know, just cause you can walk in the environment as the professional and you can't find anything with your, your, you know, preliminary diagnostics and you feel fine in the space. Doesn't mean that the space is fine for that individual. You know? Right. But We're all different. Getting past that though. You know, it's hard, it's hard to get people in the industry sometimes to get past that. Totally. And I can understand. I think like we're just as human beings, we're always scared of things we don't know. You know, when I was 22 and I was diving into this and it was like the first client I ever was dealing with, I was working for my dad's company at the time. Um, You know, it's, I ran into this client. She was in Brooklyn, New York. She wasn't feeling well, was complaining. Uh, This was, you know, my first project as, you know, kind of working alongside my dad. It was like my first project that I was, you know, technically responsible for. Um, and yeah, of course I was scared, you know, because this, this person said it was affecting her health and I didn't fully understand it at the time. <laughs> and it, you know, when I, when I finished the job, um, it was one of those jobs where it failed three or four times, you know, um, I had this burning desire to be like, you know what, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and make excuses as to why it failed. I'm just going to go back and look around. Mm-hmm. What did I miss? What did I do wrong? And I, I took it as a learning experience and, you know, I'm still learning every, every day, you know, even 10 years later, it's still a learning experience. Oh, you, you're going to be learning a long time. You're going to be mean, learning a long you, time. When you stop learning, you're either, you're either dead or you're just like really obtuse and you, you shouldn't be in the industry anymore. 
but you know, it's interesting. Like I remember I was excited, you know, I failed a couple of times. I was excited when I, when I finally got that excited pass. No, I was excited. <laughs> I was excited Sorry. that like, you know, I was excited to figure it out, you know, okay. for my first time, I think. And so it was this burning desire to like, I didn't care. You know, I knew that it was costing me time to having to keep going back that I wasn't going to make any money on, but it, it was beyond that. It was like, I just, I want to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you start to get some small wins. The next person I run into it, maybe I failed twice. Right. And then it started to get to a point where I, I was pretty regularly getting these jobs passed. I knew what to look for. I knew how to do it. I, I, I kind of started to figure this out. Um, and then, of course, you get another client that's like, I'm sensitive to light, sound, uh, you know, and I'm not leaving my house. Good luck. Right. And how do I do that? That's a challenge. But it's a challenge. I like the challenge. And I think, you know, when you when you like a challenge and you have this burning desire to just figure it out, that's what science is made out of, right? Absolutely. You just, you figure it out and you, 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 you have to have that dedication. I think that that's kind of that burning desire is missing in a lot of people in mm-hmm. this industry. And I think we need to kind of get back to that state where we're like, you're not feeling well, I can't guarantee that this is it. I'm not a doctor, but you know what I can guarantee? I can guarantee that I can make your house more optimal, a better environment. Mm-hmm. And I think if we stick with that, we're going to do good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. <clears throat> you want, one of the challenges too is the, the uh, often right. There's more than a single constituent. There's in play. You know, when you get mm-hmm. into a space, right? There's this problem, problem A, problem B. You know, maybe maybe a whole you know plethora of d- different issues. And I think, and, and as as you get longer in the industry, I think it's really hard to <clears throat> to keep conditioning yourself to not just jump that low lying fruit. You saw you find one parameter that is definitely a smoking gun, right? And you, you and you're like close your investigations like you shouldn't do that um you really need to in my mind keep keep looking for what other underlying things could be happening that you're not readily seeing you know because that that's and it's hard to condition yourself to do that you know and it's hard it's, there's also financial considerations but i mean sure. I, I i've seen so many projects where people have di- properly diagnosed one of the problems prior to getting you know we getting involved in the project uh, but they didn't find some of the other you know the underlying stuff and they never did resolve it for the client because they you know they only fixed part of the problem right so it happens yeah. a lot yeah it's, it's i don't know how we get past that. i mean it, it comes back to education um and, and just understanding more and, and i think we're still overall I'll, I'll go as far as to say i think we're still woefully under undereducated as an industry I, oh, I just, yeah. I just feel that way. I think, and again, the foot soldiers, the people that are actually out in the trenches doing the work very often don't have a clue as the overall hierarchy of how things go. Right there. You know, I do this, I'm ripping sheetrock out or I'm throwing stuff in bags or I wipe walls down, but they don't understand, you know, the A to Z of the project and necessarily yeah. how their actions or inactions or wrong actions can adversely affect the outcome because they're very, you know, totally. narrow minded. You also, have em- you also have employees. You add employees into the mix, right? You do your best to train your employees. You get them all certified. Um, you know, nobody's perfect. We're dealing with human beings. People make mistakes. Um, so it's, it's it, you know, there's no perfect answer. Um, and I think that going back to if we have this burning dedication to help, um, you know, I think that's really what's going to help push this thing forward. Um, it's never going to be perfect. We're dealing with an imperfect science. We're dealing with imperfect tools and technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you care, if you care enough to do everything you can to help somebody, uh, I think that that's going to go a long way to helping them. And I think that's really the important part that we kind of, 
need to get back to, if you will, yeah. as an industry. Yeah, that's, it's that's been well, it's well been very smash and grab around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, we're 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 learning as we go, you know. But I, sometimes I question whether we're learning, we're just going, you know, like, and, and that's yeah. a lot of the industry. Um, you know, well, why, here's here's another question that's kind of related, a little unrelated, but why doesn't our industry? Why do you think our industry doesn't do a better job of promoting the industry and everything and good science and you know? new ideas on social media, you know, I, for the most part, our industry is woefully behind on that. I mean, through COVID, you saw like almost cricket, you know, it was a cricket situation. The people that, that migrated to Twitter were mostly academia researchers, right? They were, you know, there's yeah. researchers everywhere, you know, Joe Allen, you know, Dr. Rich Corsi, you know, you know, very prominent people in the research side. Uh, but, you know, on the practitioner side, I didn't see anything. And I'm talking consultants as well. well why is that? You know, in your mind, <laughs> you know, I don't because our, I, you know, just to be frank, I think our industry is kind of like Mean Girls. You know, Ooh. you put yourself out there and you get attacked. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's not a really, it doesn't create a, a safe environment for people to want to put themselves out there and and push things forward because they know that, you know, it's very likely that twenty to thirty percent of the people are going to attack them and you know poke holes in anything they're trying to say. And so I think th- that has a lot to do with it. You know, for me, um, I've been wanting to write my book for a long time. And I, I did have a lot of fear writing this book because I know like there's people that read the book that are not going to agree with it. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I just had to push my that fear aside and say, you know what, I'm going to get this out there. It's going to help people. Not everyone's going to agree with it. And that's OK. Um, time p- agreement comes in time. Right. As people see more data, as people experience more things, they're going to start to come to their own conclusions. I think at the at the end of the day, I'm probably not right about everything because that would be insane if I was. But I think that there's probably things that I am right about that are going to be utilized in the future more widely as people other people come to that same conclusion. So I think at at the end of the day, um, you know, just put yourself out there. It's fine. Uh, I did it. I'm sure there's people that attack me behind my back. It's okay. I think at the end of the day, we need more people to speak up and introduce new ideas um, and evolve this industry forward. And I think, you know, I, hopefully more people are, are willing to do that. I mean, I would say if, if you're not at least infuriating 10% of the audience, you haven't done your job. Uh, and honestly, <laughs> and that, that's kind of, that's kind of like my mantra when I present, uh, if everybody loves what I did, I did something wrong because I didn't say anything <laughs> that, you know, that sparked any controversy at all. And that, yeah. that would be an, just unacceptable in my mind. So, so you know, to, to that, you know, good job. I, I definitely appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're run, we've run out of time. This went fast. It did. It so really I, fast. I still had like, questions right? and I didn't uh. even get to them. And it's like, wow, it's like, <laughs> pretty good. Um, so we'll have to have you back again sometime because this was, uh, I'd, I'd like I'd love to. to. Uh, yeah, I'd like to continue the conversation, you know, about about the change of the Air Foundation. You know, give me, give me a little bit more about that, and uh, yeah, just some of the, some of the things you're doing. I, I do, I do think that the industry to date has been woefully inadequate in how we've addressed the consumers. You know, yeah. we just haven't done a great job. Any of us, you know, it just we we t- we tend to. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know why, you know, but, but we need to do better. So that that's great yeah. that, um, you know, you're trying to do some of that. So, so, um, next week, you know, we gotta, we gotta talk about next week's show. Now it's that, that, that time of the day, uh, we'll be back here again next Thursday, one to 2 PM Eastern daylight time. 
Um, our guest next week is Jay West coming to us from Chicago. Some of you may know Jay um, as a co-host of our uh, Healthy Indoors After Hour show that will be coming back again this season as well. Uh, but Jay's also been a uh, long time involved in training in the building performance industry and the weatherization industry and has moved into the indoor environmental, indoor air quality sector of late. Uh, he's no no stranger to uh, saying controversial things. Uh, you know, so he, he, Jay's always fun to have around. Um, you, you know, our home ship, our mothership for uh, healthy indoors is our, uh, site, healthyindoors.com. Uh, we have everything there. So all the back issues, of healthy indoors magazine, by the way, we were only 30 days off from our ninth birthday with healthy indoors magazine, which seems crazy. Uh, I can't believe we've been doing this for nine years. Uh, our shows are there. Um, we have a lot of stuff there at Obviously, we have the uh, Healthy Indoors online global community, uh, which is something that um, you should be involved with. Uh, we'll throw another uh, commercial up at the end because I can't stop doing that. Uh, but it's global.healthyindoors.com. You can check it out. That's where you can see the back issues of this show, plus a lot of other shows we're involved with. We were uh, uh, starting to broadcast all over the place. So that, that that's a lot of fun. Um, again, I would like to thank my guest, Michael Rubino. Again, he's the uh, author of The Mold Medic. And uh, yeah, and uh, well, good luck with your home cleanse uh, rebrand and uh, the Change the Air Foundation. Kind of exciting things. Yeah, thank uh, you very much. So we're look, looking forward uh, to watching, uh, watching what you do. 33 years old. It's like, God, you're only 30 years younger than, or old, younger than me. It's crazy. It's just <laughs> scary. <laughs> Somebody's got to take the torch. It's good stuff. So anyway, uh, until, uh, until next week, we'll see you soon. Uh, I'm Bob Krell, and uh, we'll... See you next week on the Healthy Indoors live show.